You're listening to Accounted For, the Canadian podcast that explores the intangibles of every career. I'm your host, Daniel Lee. Hey folks, as previously promised, here is an iTunes review from a listener that I will read out regarding the anonymous cast series. Really loving the insight you get into careers with this series. It's the type of thing you, can, you can't learn from a book, but only from speaking to people candidly who have experience in the industry. Great content. Okay, well, thank you to Delightful Mornings for leaving such an awesome review. And I will keep this in mind to produce more anonymous podcasts in the future. So let this be known to you other listeners that if you leave a review and say something or suggest something, I will keep it in mind. It's a great way to communicate with me and also let me know about what you want and also who you are as well sometimes. So thank you for doing that. The podcast itself is brought to you by OMD Ventures, my platform focused on human capital investing. Check out weekly articles on redefining the status quo in work and life, as well as my daily learnings on becoming healthy, wealthy, and wise. Check it all out at oldmandan.com and remember to subscribe to join the community. And also please help the podcast as well as your fellow friends that you love by telling that one friend this week about Accounted For. Give that person some perspective in their own life and the search for something meaningful and fulfilling that they want to do. Today's podcast is with Marsha Drucker, the founder of Fuck Up Nights Toronto. Fuck Up Nights is an international movement that started in Mexico City by five entrepreneurs who got together to share their fuck up. And in five years, it has just spread throughout the globe. Marcia started her career in the world of corporate marketing. As the atypical high achiever, she didn't think twice about joining the corporate world until she really began to wonder if there could be something else out there. In our chat, she takes us on a ride to her move to Tel Aviv in Israel to join the hot startup community there and how that experience led to Fuck Up Nights Toronto. We go through the non-linear journey Marcia took to run a community business as well as her own fuck up en route to where she is now and what it's really like as someone who is focused on getting other people to share their fuck ups live in front of an audience. This was really a fascinating conversation for me, especially also because I am always curious about how these kind of community-based companies form because it's just been, I would say, very impactful in the Toronto startup community to see her event just become so popular and even hear people talk about it in coffee shops. And I personally had the pleasure of attending my first Fuck Up Nights event right after interviewing Marcia for the podcast. And it really was a lot of fun where I got to hear some amazing stories and I would recommend to you, my audience, to really check it out if you would love to hear some great stories of people who've essentially fucked up and learned from that and how they were able to bounce back. Maybe it can inspire you to pursue something that scares you or even to let you know that it's okay to fail, it's okay to fuck up and there's nothing wrong with it. And so, yeah. Without further ado, here is my interview with Marsha. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Account for Today on the podcast, I have Marsha Drucker, the founder of Fuck Up Nights Toronto. Hi, Marsha. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. And for the guests who may not be familiar with Fuck Up Nights Toronto, 
and who might maybe mistake it with you know some kind of mistake you make on a Friday night. Um, what is Fuck Up Nights Toronto? Can you explain it to the audience and you know how big is it? Um, yeah, like can you tell us more about it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we definitely do have a really fun and edgy name, um, but Fuck Up Nights is a speaker series and community that shares stories of professional failure. So we have monthly events where we bring out three speakers and they really share their biggest fuck-ups and the lessons that they've learned. Fuck-up nights happen in over 300 different cities all over the world. In Toronto, it's been here since March of 2017. Um, and our whole purpose is really to change the conversation around failure, to make it something that's you know fun and accessible to talk about and something that we can all learn from. Failure really touches every person in every industry. So. Let's let's talk about it in a fun environment where there's no judgment and it's something that we can all learn from. Got it. And Fuck Up Nights, it rotates around different venues, right? It's not like there's one area that only does Fuck Up Night events. How does it work? Yeah, it really varies um, in different cities across the globe. Um, here in Toronto, we've done um, regular uh, monthly events at the same venue, and then we rotate for industry-themed events and special events. Gotcha. And... From our first conversation, you told me how Fuck Up Nights actually originated down in Mexico City with, uh, with uh, five different entrepreneurs. We just got together and started sharing their failures and it just spread out of there. Yeah, that's basically what happened. So there was um, one entrepreneur who, you know, she was sitting down looking at her um, her financial um, statements, some spreadsheets, and a lot of it was kind of in the red. And she realized that her social enterprise had failed. And that night she got together with a few of her friends who were also entrepreneurs and they were having some mezcal drinks, which is a really popular beverage in the region. And they just got to talking about some of their biggest failures. And walking away from that conversation, they felt like it was the most honest business conversation that they've ever had. So from there, they decided to do it with a bigger group of friends. And it just kind of snowballed from there. It started becoming an event in Mexico City. Uh, Mexico City is a place that draws a lot of um, of travelers and you know international people so people from other cities started seeing it and becoming really fascinated with it and that's how it's it's grown to over 300 cities now so it started in 2012 and it's just exploded ever since it's one of the largest if not the largest movements in the world like this wow and yeah um this might not really relate to it but i remember i met a colleague who was working in mexico city back when i was in and consulting and she was telling me how people in Mexico City are close to like workaholics like they work really hard and I was very surprised because I was thinking oh Mexico I think about nice beaches and it should be very relaxing but she was telling me no like people in Mexico are they really work really hard and so I can only imagine that they probably also go through a lot of failures and have a lot of that like pent-up stuff that they need to like, talk about absolutely so I was actually just traveling through there um, just around a month ago and you know, I've been to Mexico before, just I had that resort experience, but this time I spent um, some time really getting to know the region. I spent a few days in Mexico City, I did a few day trips. Um, and yeah, it's exactly like you said, people really hustle there. Like people work and play hard, and especially in Mexico City. And with that, there's a lot of entrepreneurship, a lot of creativity. And with that, obviously, there's a lot of failure. But they have a really great attitude about it and they're very open to sharing their failures. So it's it's really a no-brainer why something like Fuck Up Nights was born there. Yeah, yeah. And you know, you you are the founder and kind of the big one of the pioneers of this movement of talking about failure openly, something that is a subject that I think a lot of people do shy away from. Um, is that something that I'm just curious was part of your kind of childhood growing up? Like were you were you 
taught to like embrace failure early on? Like, how did how did you handle it? Was it like a big part of it? You know what? It's really funny. Actually, my mom and I were just talking about this a couple of weeks ago, and she could actually pinpoint the exact time that I encountered my first failure. Um, so I was performing in a school concert. I was maybe like five or six years old. And I had two parts in this concert. So the first part, I had to recite a poem. And then um, later on, I had an act that I think was like a, a song or a dance with another um, group of students. And while I was doing that first part by myself, the poem, I kind of stumbled um, and I forgot um, a word and, you know, somebody helped me out and then I continued with it and everything was great. Everything was fine. Um, but when it came time for me to go backstage and, you know, change into my costume for the second part of the concert, I was really upset and, you know, my mom had to come and comfort me. And I honestly thought in that moment that that's it. I ruined the whole thing that, you know, that one little failure, that one little stumble, it, it it's going to end the whole thing. And really, that was the first time that I learned about failure. And, you know, my mom really taught me that lesson that, hey, it's OK, it happens to everyone. And just pick yourself back up and go finish like this concert really strong. So I think that was the first time that I've encountered it. But throughout my you know, childhood and growing up, I'm really the type of person that's a perfectionist. Um, you know, I went to Schulich. I've always had really high grades. I've always been a very high achiever. So failure is something that's, you know, it, it doesn't come naturally to me, like talking about it and embracing it. So through something like fuck up nights, I've been really able to to learn about failure myself and uh, running something like this. Obviously, I've had so many of my own failures in launching it and growing it to what it is today. So over time, I think that my perception of failure has really changed and I think I have a much healthier attitude towards it now as well. Gotcha. And Duker, where your last name, uh, what's the uh, heritage of that? Like where, where does it come from? Yeah, yeah. so um, my background is I, I'm from Ukraine. That's where I was born there. I lived there until I was eight years old. I'm also Jewish, um, but the background of my last name, I believe, is actually German. So I have some German roots as well. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So you you weren't born and raised in Toronto then? I wasn't. No, I'm an immigrant. Nice. Um, and kind of coming in when you... That's a, that's a fun time to come to a different country when you're eight. Like, I came to Canada when I was 10. And then as you came to this new country, like, what what kind of you know what kind of dreams did you have of becoming like when you're growing up like what kind of dream career or job did you think about when like i find like the age between se- 7 to 13 is when you have like um these kind of undulterated just like fresh very like maybe naive but even um clean just yeah totally. possible possible dreams um, so I think growing up, like I've always been really creative and uh, really into like art and really just like anything that's creative would really um, draw me to it. Um, so I kind of saw myself in advertising, actually, but then I really started to develop a passion for business. Uh, like early on in high school, I knew that I wanted to go to business school. I knew specifically that I wanted to go to Schulich. Um, so that was kind of the path that I took. Um, but over time, I've really become even more passionate about entrepreneurship and tech. And, you know, now I found myself doing this, like never in a million years would I see myself leading something called fuck up nights. Um, <laughs> like if somebody showed me a crystal ball and I was able to see this, I don't think I would believe it, but I'm super passionate about it now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, you're, 
you kind of went down, I guess, that potential uh, route of advertising when you first started, I guess, like when you went to Schulich for business, you still started mar- studied marketing. And then so you were, a, when I look at your LinkedIn profile, you're a corporate marketer, I'd say, for, I guess, about three years. You were at, um, I'm going to butcher his name, like Jarden and Micron or Mercon? Yeah, close uh, enough. Yeah. yeah. I, so, yeah, with, with Schulich, especially at the time that I graduated, um, really, like, you were either pushed into accounting, finance, or if you chose to go down the marketing route, um, a really clear path was going um, into a consumer packaged goods company, which is what I did. I went to Jardin, which is now acquired by Newell Brands. And I had that really traditional, you know, marketing CPG role where I worked on six different brands and in a really, like, analytical sort of marketing capacity. Um, I did a lot of project and product management over there. Um, and from there, I really, I was gravitating more towards the marketing communication side of things. And I was becoming really interested in PR. So that's how I found my next role at Miracom. Um, okay. So yeah, that's a life safety company. And I headed up uh, communications there. So I did an internal and external. How does that relate like marketing and PR? Is, are they, like, do they work together often in most organizations? Um, and how does the kind of role um, disseminate between those two? Yeah, really great question. Um, a lot of the time, PR sits under marketing in a company, but really depending on the size and the budget, um, a lot of companies will actually you know, outsource their PR and work with an agency. Um, some kind of do a combination of both. They have an internal PR person, and then that person interfaces and manages an agency as well. Gotcha. And PR, like when I think about PR, um, I think the first person I ever met in PR was a, pers- was a person who was actually working on a Volkswagen account when Volkswagen got their diesel scandal. And they're saying, yeah, we're just trying to manage that. We're trying to make it so the company doesn't look that bad. And that was my first impression. Also, that's what PR is. It's like disaster relief and things like that. That's, um, that's definitely part of it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, crisis management. But I think PR, the way that I would define it, is really um, telling a story and really like shaping public perception of your company. Um, really like positioning the founder and the company in the eyes of the public, how you would want it to be perceived and finding those opportunities to share that story. But of course, you know, negative things could happen and it's all about how you handle it and how you sort of shape that story as well. Mm-hmm. And so through that, you you, know, you first got into marketing, you followed that CPG route that they said you, you know, you have as the option in university and then you figured out that, okay, no, I think the PR side, communication side is more what I want to do. And then you went to Tel Aviv. You went to join a startup called Veed, and you became like the sixth employee there. How does that happen? What? First of all, why Tel Aviv? What made you want to go to uh, Israel? Yeah, so I think like you can already tell through this podcast, I've had a very non-traditional, non-linear path to get to where I am now. Um, so yeah, I was in this great corporate role for about three years doing communications and PR, and I really loved it. I loved the company. I loved my team. Um, but I felt like I was kind of stagnating at a certain point. You know, I, I didn't really feel like I was learning as much as I could. And I was just sort of ready for a change. And at that same time, I was becoming really passionate about tech and, you know, the startup scene here in Toronto, but more so globally and, and in other places all over the world. And something that I've kind of regretted during university was not going on exchange. A lot of my friends had gone and, you know, it was the best time of their life. And, you know, you learn so much while you're on there. Um, So I decided to find an opportunity that would let me combine both. So an opportunity to uh, to jump into a different industry, uh, to work for a startup 
and to have that opportunity to live abroad and to travel. So I happened to come across this opportunity in Tel Aviv called Career Israel, where they basically match you with a company in whatever industry you're interested in. For me, it was tech and startups. And Tel Aviv and Israel is like absolutely known for that. It's, you know, people call it startup nation for a reason. They're, they have the highest number of startups per capita. Um, they're like just behind Silicon Valley. Um, some really huge names coming out of there, like, you know, Wix is headquartered there, Fiverr. Uh, Waze was started there and then acquired by Google. And there's just like countless incredible startups there. And, you know, I figured since I'm taking this risk and I'm leaving the safe corporate job be behind, um, why don't I really like go full in and go for a smaller startup where I can really make the biggest impact? So I came on board with this company called Veedme. Uh, they're in the video marketing uh, space. So they would um, basically it's a platform that would connect videographers with marketers who were looking for uh, to create video content. And uh, it was a platform that would let them sort of interface the whole process, see priced examples, and then um, use the platform to secure everything. Um, and then that company was actually later acquired by Fiverr um, a couple of years later. So that was really exciting to have, to have been part of a startup that was part of an acquisition later on. Um, but while I was there, there was six of us. And my role was really focused on um, content marketing, PR, communications. But since there were only six people and there was a startup environment, I really got to wear a lot of different hats and to learn from all aspects of the company. So I got to have a say in product. You know, whenever we would tweak something or change something, I would be testing it along with the team. I tried my hand at business development and sales. Um, and really, like I was exposed to a whole different world of marketing, which I wanted to learn about. You know, coming from a more traditional um, marketing corporate path, I was doing a lot of traditional, you know, like advertising, um, brand building, uh, working with agencies, you know, those types of marketing activities. With this in a startup, you have to be a lot more scrappy. And it was really like growth marketing, um, content and, you know, social and really like tracking everything that we were doing. It was it was a whole different world for me, but it was so exciting. And, and so the contrasting that with the, the traditional marketing world and the startup marketing world, um, the brand building and stuff like is it like why is it different? Is it just like the metrics are different, or is it just how, how you think about marketing in general that's different? I would say all of the above. I mean, the way that you think about it is a lot more scrappy. You know, in a smaller startup, you you don't have the type of budget that you would have in a corporation, so you really have to look at unique ways to to get your message out, uh, to really be able to track results. Um, a lot of it is really like heavily focused on content. So a lot of my role was you know creating blog posts and webinars and uh, really fun like social content that could be shared and everything that could be like very easily tracked. Um, case studies was another really big thing. And since it was a video marketing company, a lot of video content as well. And but even before all this, the move to Tel Aviv, get, stopping uh, the tracks of a three year corporate marketing role and telling your friends and family, hey, you know what, I'm just going to go to Tel Aviv, join this small company in what you previously phrased as like close to like an internship opportunity and say like, yeah, I'm just going to do this. How did your guess, nearby circle take it? Like your colleagues, your family, your friends, like what, what was their reaction? Honestly, I think a lot of people thought I was completely insane for doing it. it this program was an internship. So the program that I went on, it was four and a half months. 
it was really, it was like an unpaid internship. I was paying to be on the program, um, but there was some grants involved and, you know, your, your housing and everything was covered. So for me, the way that I rationalized it to myself is that this was going to be like my MBA. I, I didn't really want to do continuing education. I didn't want to, you know, do a formal MBA. And for me, I thought that this was the best way to sort of take the next step in my career to get that startup experience that I was looking for to learn a new aspect of marketing and to really like get myself completely out of my comfort zone and to go live in a different country where I didn't know anyone, I didn't know the language. Um, and I think it was the best thing that I could have ever done. But at the time, like trying to rationalize it to people, most people weren't super understanding and you know they were kind of concerned about like, why are you doing this? Um, but I think the people that were really close to me, you know, my very close friends and my family, they, they were understanding and they, they were really supportive, even though, you know, maybe they didn't believe in it a hundred percent, but they were supportive of my decision. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think I love, I love how you put it that way, where you, you know, thought of it as creating your, your own MBA, where you actually had a purpose of, this is what I want to learn. And if I were to go can go to school for let's say a year or two and do this but i could just do it right now i could just go to tel aviv and i could just learn all these skills related to business and experience it that way experience a different country um exactly and it costs like a fraction of what an mba would cost and i think i learned so much more and then coming off of that program i was able to extend my stay then i did come on as you know a, an employee of the company so it was no longer an internship and it was no longer unpaid and then when I came back to Toronto, I did find another opportunity where I made a really significant salary jump. So it like it definitely paid for itself and was well worth it. But looking back on it, it was definitely a huge risk and it could have gone either way. But I think when I look at those types of decisions, like I would have regretted a lot more not going and not taking that chance. So, yeah. Yeah, it's like what um, Jeff Bezos calls it, his regret minimization framework. And I think a lot of people have something like that too where you just ask yourself would I regret it on my deathbed if I didn't do this would I wonder and like yeah I probably would then kind of the answer is just say, okay let's just do it um, when when I hear about companies that or not even just me but when I have conversations with friends and they go like oh yeah that that company got acquired and this guy was like employee number 10 in it I bet you he's like a millionaire when Veed got acquired did, did it have any like major like financial impact on you did your friends go come to you and say, yes, yeah, so I heard Fiverr bought Veed. Uh, are you are you going to retire now? Like, did you have that kind of... You know, yeah, like people kind of assumed because I was part of it, but I was actually already no longer part of the company. I was back in Toronto working somewhere else uh, when that acquisition happened. But I was just super excited to, you know, for like all the founders and everybody who, who was part of the company during that point of the acquisition. It was like, I was so excited for them and just to have been able to have been part of it um, when it was so early on as well and being able to shape some of their strategy. And what made you want to come back to Toronto? Like, why not stay in Tel Aviv longer? Why not help build it out for um, the company further? Like you were a full-time employee now. Yeah, so I, I was technically on a contract and we had, you know, a set date that it was going to end. Um, around that same time, you know, I had to come back uh, to Toronto actually for a friend's wedding. Um, but at the same time, like I, I was looking for other opportunities in Tel Aviv and there's a lot of them, especially as a native English speaker in marketing, like companies will definitely fight over you. So I, I had a lot of really interesting opportunities there. Um, I was also in a relationship over there. 
Um, and there were just like a whole lot of factors where I was seriously considering um, staying there. But ultimately what ended up kind of changing my mind is that I went back to Ukraine uh, one weekend just to visit some family there. And it was just a reminder of, you know, where I'm from originally, what my parents like sacrificed to actually immigrate to Canada. Um, and I, in a way, I felt like while I was living in Tel Aviv, while I was living abroad, I was sort of living in a bubble, I guess. Like when I first came on that program, everything was arranged, you know, like I already had the job lined up. I knew where I was going to live. Um, afterwards when I stayed, like same thing, I, I was living on my own. I found my own place, but I still felt like I was kind of like part of that bubble and, you know, I was just having this experience. It's a very different process to actually immigrate there and to build a life for yourself and ultimately my family and my close friends are here in Toronto and I just felt like I at, the, at that time I would have more opportunity here but it was a very very difficult decision and you know I kind of I like I flip-flopped back on it a few times when I came back like it was not an easy transition but ultimately I'm really happy with my decision to come back and it's not like the door is closed to Tel Aviv. You, you never know down the line, maybe I'll return. But for now, Toronto was definitely the right place for me. And Fuck Up Nights, actually, it came about through my experience in Tel Aviv. So it happens in over 300 cities, and Tel Aviv was already one of them. So I went out to one of the events there, um, completely fell in love with that concept. And then I came back to Toronto, and I wasn't here yet. So I took it upon myself to launch it here. Hmm. And that that transition though to you know move away from that life in Tel Aviv, like in this vibrant city, and like that is, as you said, one of the big tech hubs and ecosystems there. And ultimately, kind of coming down to a decision to say that, like my family and loved ones are here in Toronto, and I'm going to come back. How, how does that make you feel though? Like kind of hitting that realization. Um, and seeing this kind of dispersion between families in Toronto and but this like ecosystem in Tel Aviv exists here um, I mean it was it was definitely tough but at the same time like I was so excited about all the opportunity in Toronto I mean our our tech ecosystem is blowing up and I think it's becoming one of one of the best in the world as well so even though, you know, it's maybe more established than Tel Aviv, I was really excited to come back here and to be able to be part of a startup here as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess that's the, it's also the kind of the uh, startup mentality. You want to be part of the thing that's going to grow when it's young and in the infancy. Yeah, absolutely. But I definitely, like, I came back and it was, like, late fall and then getting into winter and I, I definitely missed the weather and the vibrancy of the lifestyle over there. It was, like, it was a tough transition. The first few months were were not easy um but over time i mean i got back into the rhythm of things and i've been really happy mm-hmm. and you you mentioned how toronto did not have a fuck of nights but we had i remember you told me that we already had one in ottawa we had one in montreal we had one in vancouver what why do you why why do you think that toronto didn't have one like no one just thought about starting it like we have a pretty big ecosystem yeah it's like it, it was actually incredible timing so somebody actually there was a company that was going to launch it and they had the license to launch it and they were just kind of sitting on it for a while. They were making the decision if it was the right fit for, for their brand and ultimately they decided not to do it. So I, I, I was just incredibly lucky with that timing that I found out about it 
during that point, then, you know, when I inquired about it, it was still kind of in that process. That company was deciding if they were going to do it or not. And, you know, I followed up multiple times and had like multiple conversations. And eventually I ended up getting a license and was able to launch it. Wow. Talk about um, bigger bureaucratic companies taking longer and, you know, the the benefit of startups being, yeah, like you're nimble, you can kind of act and decide things faster and yet less things relying on like, you know, like, does this work with our brand or whatever? Exactly. Like it was just me and really like my, my mentality with it was, I just want to do this. Like, I think Toronto needs this. I don't think we have the healthiest attitude towards failure. I think people are like very afraid of it. I think it's changing over, especially over the last two years with fuck up nights here. Um, and myself, like I've never actually organized events. I've never done community building like nothing remotely like it, but I kind of figured what's the worst thing that's going to happen. Like I'm going to fuck up something called fuck up nights and then (laughs) I'll share the story myself. Um, But luckily it it didn't. Like the first event went really well. It really resonated and it took off ever since. And what was the, what what were the factors that kind of pushed you to to say that I'm the person that needs to bring this to Toronto? You know what? It's actually like, I think when I share my story, I just, I kind of end up sharing the highlight reel myself that, you know, like I saw this in Tel Aviv and, you know, I really wanted it to exist in Toronto and I did it and it's been so amazing. But the truth is when I started it, I was coming, like I was in a really weird place in my life. Like I kind of felt like I was a big failure. You know, I had made this decision to go abroad and then I, I came back, I was having trouble um, finding a job because it was the holiday season. Things were really slow. Um, and just like, I really wanted this community to exist. I felt like that was a place where I can kind of, you know, learn from other people's failures, um, like see other people who are, you know, looking for their next step or, you know, maybe dealing with some kind of failure. So it just kind of stemmed from that, like from really wanting this like supportive community and something that was different. Yeah. I think that that's actually something that, um, I'm, I've been learning more about as I've been interviewing other founders as well, this the dark side that people don't tell you about how lonely the journey is, like whether you're a founder or whether you're just even going to branch out into a different industry or like, you know, coming back from a, a different country and trying to start up again. And the need, the need for like a support group to actually help with coping with that kind of, you know, the dark thoughts that pop into your mind. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, but, but you, you know, you got on your feet and you, on a role at Ascuity, um, being marketing, and Fuck Up Nights kind of came about while you were at Ascuity, right? Um, how did you bounce? Like, how did that kind of come out? Like, did you were you there, were you at Ascuity, and you know, the head office at Mex- Mexico City called you and said, "All right, you got the license. Now you can go. You have our permission." Like, how did it all happen? Yeah, so it kind of I ended up getting the license maybe a month before I started the full time role, and then I was kind of ramping up to launching it. I really didn't think that Fuck Up Nights was going to become this like massive thing that it is today. And I didn't do the best job in balancing it. So one of the fuck ups that I made with Fuck Up Nights is that I didn't really build a team quickly enough. Like I thought that I could just do it by myself. So I planned the entire launch event like completely by myself, like all the speakers, all the partners, um, marketing the event, all the logistics around it. It was definitely a ton of work. Um, and then I started building out a volunteer team uh, since that event. Um, but it took a really long time to actually be able to like delegate things and to be able to let go of things. 
So I was working full time and doing fuck up nights for around the, about a year. And I didn't do a good job of balancing the two. And I actually ended up being let go from that role. So that was one of my biggest failures in, in my career and in my life. But ultimately, I think it was a really positive thing. It pushed me into this journey of entrepreneurship. So since that happened, you know, leading up to it, um, Fuck Up Nights was I was able to make it profitable. Um, I had other initiatives on the go as well. And I've always had that sort of entrepreneurial bug. Like I really wanted to do my own thing. But I had this great role and this great title and this amazing team. And I was really scared to take the risk. And, you know, I, I liked how it sounded. You know, I'm a marketing manager here. And then I also run this amazing community. So that experience kind of made me reflect on it and realize that I don't think I'm going to be happy in another job. Like, Fuck Up Nights is really my passion and entrepreneurship is my passion. So I really just want to be um, doing my own thing. So since that experience, I actually haven't looked for another full-time position and I've really been focusing on growing fuck up nights and then doing um, independent work with clients as well and during that time when you know you were trying to balance two things you you have this this I guess uh, passion project this baby of yours that's growing like that's fuck up nights and but going back to you know you you were always someone that got high grades in high school it was kind of like the type a overachiever you know, um, knew what she was going to do. And to experience that, you know, to face like fuck up of not being able to balance the two of having a full-time job and running fuck up nights and actually being like, go like, how did it make you feel though when that actually happened to you? Was it, did it actually feel, um, you know, I think the common thought people might have would be, Oh, that probably felt like shit. Or did it? It did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I really wouldn't recommend getting let go from a job. I think I could have handled it a lot better. You know, I was at the point where I realized I wasn't doing a good job balancing the two, and you know, it was it was probably time to move on. But ultimately, that decision was made for me, and I was really in a position where I could have made it myself a lot quicker and, you know, saved myself a lot of time and saved this company a lot of time as well. So, I mean, I definitely have some regrets, and I would have done it very differently if I could go back. But the thing about that failure is that, you know, like, you can't let it stop you. So I kind of had a choice after that, like, do I slow down on fuck up nights and do I look for another role and kind of like forget this community or like pass it off to somebody else or do I really like follow this passion and see what I could grow it to and I really took that second route so I was able to um to really like significantly grow it uh we had a one-year anniversary event like shortly after I had that experience where you know we had over 500 people and the concert and like four incredible speakers and it's really like exploded ever since. Um, this fall, actually, I launched it in Kitchener Waterloo as well. Um, there's no way that I would have been able to do that, all of that if I was still working full time. So it was kind of a blessing in disguise, but I would have handled it a lot differently if I could go back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that it's honestly like what I see is a, a beautifully classic case of you had a failure, but it just became, if you seize it correctly, it just became an opportunity to just kind of ride from the ashes and actually be an amazing learning opportunity to like even excel and like go further. Um, it's like how what you mentioned about how, I, I wonder, do you wonder that about how if Ascuity had not let you go and kind of 
forced you to make a choice of am I going to be an entrepreneur or an employee again, whether you would have fully been able to make the jump of being an entrepreneur? I don't know. I feel like like eventually I think it would have happened, but I think it would have taken a lot longer. So I, I'm really glad that it happened when it did. Hmm. And when you were making the decision to say, you know what, I'm going to pursue this, I'm going to grow out this community, make it my full-time thing, what kind of steps did you go through to come to that uh, decision? Um, so I really looked at, like, the thing with Fuck Up Nights, it's not meant to be something that's, you know, like, a business or, you know, something where the the goal is profit. Really, like, the goal is changing the conversation about failure, building a community. So I'm very conscious of that, like, the partners that I bring on, um, like, they all have to be really aligned with our mission. So I've literally said no to, like, thousands of dollars of just, like, companies that I didn't think were aligned and that wouldn't add any value um, to this community and, you know, that weren't the good fit. So it's, like, there's definitely a balancing act there. Um, but then also finding other opportunities as well. I mean, I don't do fuck-up nights full-time. Um, I also work with a couple of PR clients. Um, I do some speaker coaching as well. So there's there's definitely a number of things that I do. And on, on that side of, like, actually finding, balancing that again <laughs> and um, finding, you know, other ways of generating income for yourself and, like, sustaining and being able to still grow in uh, fuck-up nights, how did you go about like, finding these like PR opportunities for like startups and stuff? So my network has really exploded ever since I started Fuck Up Nights. Um, I have really incredible like past speakers in my network, the partners that I work with. Um, so the opportunities that come to me now are kind of inbound. Um, I haven't really had to you know go out and like try to sell my services, and you know it's really a matter of kind of like focusing on one or two um, key clients to make sure that I am able to balance it. And, you know, if we talk about PR and marketing, like, you know, Fuck Up Nights has just grown so quickly in like the years that you've operated. And, you know, I think we're kind of recording on the earmark of your two-year anniversary of um, Fuck Up Nights. So congrats on making it this far. And Thank I'm you. sure there's like many more years to go. And that's something I think the community definitely needs. But like, I remember you told me about like the start, like the start of Fuck Up Nights actually happened at a TechTO event. Um, can you kind of walk our uh, listeners through like what happened there? Yeah, TechTO is one of my favorite events in Toronto. They're actually a community partner with Fuck Up Nights, um, which is crazy to think because literally two years ago I was going out to these events and I was so like shy and nervous to talk to anyone. Um, but the day that I got the license to start Fuck Up Nights, um, there was actually a TechTO event happening that night. So literally wow. all Talk about coincidence. Yeah. So all I had set up at that point was a Twitter account. So I just had the like fuck up nights TO Twitter handle. And Tech TO does this thing at the beginning of their events where anybody in the audience can raise their hand and they could do a 10 second pitch to the audience to share whatever they're working on. Really like anything. The mic is yours. So that's when I pitched fuck up nights and, you know, I stood up and I said that, hey, like this is coming. Stay tuned. This is when it's happening. We're looking for speakers, partners, team members. And I mean, I was so I was like not a natural public speaker at all. I was so nervous to do that. But ultimately, I think what it did was, you know, I announced that this thing was coming in front of like over 500 people. And they kind of like kicked my own ass into gear to actually like, OK, now I have to make this happen. 
And a lot of engagement came through that pitch. You know, I also tweeted it from that handle where I had zero followers <laughs> at that point, gained a few followers. Um, but we've had some really great like potential speakers and I think even a partner come from, from that one initial pitch. So I think that was a really great lesson for me, like being the type of person that's, you know, a perfectionist and, you know, always wants to wait until, you know, it's like the right time and it's the perfect time to launch something. This like it literally shifted my mindset where I was like, no, this is fuck up nights. It doesn't need to be perfect. So, yeah, all I have is this Twitter handle, but I'm just going to tell people about it, that it's coming. Nice. And yeah, I remember when we first spoke, I told you that I went to TechTio event myself and I saw the um, the open mic thing and I didn't really know it was in that um, that way. You just put up your hand and Jason Goldless just goes around and gives yeah. you a mic and you just talk. <laughs> and, hoverboard, yeah, yeah, and I remember when I went, like, I this was, this was my first event and I was so afraid. For, like I, I, I love people. Like I love talking to people constantly and meeting strangers in the podcast. But even then I was just in my chair and I was so afraid to just stand up and say it. And I eventually got the courage to at least put my hand up and I didn't get called on. But even just putting my hand up got, <laughs> had me have, have like butterflies. It's crazy just going in my uh, chest and just thinking, what am I going to say? <laughs> what are these people going to think if I say it? Um, yeah, it's definitely not easy. Like, I remember I was, like, literally shaking, like, during and after that pitch. But you just got to do what you got to do. And over time, as, you know, you do more of these and you do more public speaking, there's really nowhere to go but up. Like, you're going to improve. There's no way you're going to get worse. Yeah, exactly. And so after, now you've committed. You've told everyone. You've told, like, 500 people. Yeah. It's coming. What, what, what were the steps like to actually getting the first event ready? Um, the major thing was securing a venue. Um, so when I was first starting with it, you know, I thought that I was going to keep the first event really small and intimate, you know, like just find maybe like a co-working space, have like 30 people out there. And then, I don't know, something just clicked and I was like, I think this could be bigger. <laughs> So it just kind of you just had an insight. Yeah, I don't. I just like I thought you know what like this is such a cool name, cool concept. I I think I should go for a bigger venue that's like well known. So I ended up approaching the DMZ, um, and I had the first event there. So that was over a hundred people. And let me tell you, as an event organizer, like people would know this. Anybody who organizes events, a lot of your ticket sales, if not most of your ticket sales, kind of come like. Um, during like the week of the event, sometimes like the day of or the day before. So here I had this room that fits a hundred to fill. And, you know, like even a week before the event, I think I had like 10 people registered. Oh, I think I had so much anxiety. Oh, I oh, really God. did. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I was like, this was gonna, this was a huge mistake. This, this is gonna be a fuck up. Um, but then I'm like, I don't know. I just realized like there's so much that I could do to actually like get the word out about this event. So I went to like any event that would let me pitch. I would make announcements. Um, I found like any relevant Facebook group about, you know, entrepreneurship and like young professionals and so on where I could post it. I messaged people directly. Like I did all kinds of things to be able to sell that event and that it sold out. Like we had a wait list, people were waiting at the door to get in, but it was not as easy as it as it looked like it was a lot of hustle to actually make that first event sell out yeah it sounds like it yeah and i'm trying to imagine like approaching the dmz and saying hey i want to start i want to do an event called fuck up night how did that pitch go that was interesting <laughs> so it's you know dmz is part of 
Ryerson. So obviously, you know, there was an approval process that happened and it, it did take a while, but they loved it. I mean, they're, they're all about entrepreneurship and failure as part of entrepreneurship. So yeah, like the name is, is different and it's edgy, but ultimately they, they thought it was a great fit. Oh, nice. Yeah. So we went with it. And then once I had that venue secured, it was really about finding speakers. And that was definitely not easy as well. For that first event, you know, no one's heard of it. People aren't really used to sharing their failures. So it was like a very new concept. So the way that I found the speakers, um, I literally went through my entire LinkedIn just to kind of like get a refresher of who's already in my network. Um, remembered um, one person who I thought would be awesome, reached out to him. He loved it. Um, and then I was also working with um, somebody who helped me co-host the event. So she recommended a speaker as well. And then another speaker came from uh, one of the speakers. And then uh, the fourth one um, also from one of our networks as well. So it kind of it, it really shaped up like leading up to the event. Um, but yeah, definitely like venue and speakers were the main things. Um, but then it was really a matter of, you know, finding partners, you know, like how are we going to have beer at this event? What does the licensing um, look like to be able to serve beer in a private venue? That was a whole other thing as well. Um, and then building out a team of volunteers, you know, people who were going to be there on the night of the event to do things like setup and registration and, you know, managing that whole process. Yeah. How do you find the volunteers for that? Um, so a lot of them for the very first event were actually like close friends of mine or, oh. or colleagues that I've worked with. Um, there's one person who actually came from a Facebook group from uh, Bun's Entrepreneurial Zone. Um, and he's, he was on the team since day one. He's an incredible member of the team now. Um, and then over time, that the way that the team has grown was really a lot of people who have come to the events. They will approach me afterwards and, you know, they have some ideas for how they want to contribute and be part of it. And those are really the people that stand out to me that, you know, approach me with a concrete idea of what they would actually want to do as part of the team. Wow. So, yeah, the team has really grown ever since. And I think like, talking about failure, as you said, it's not easy. And even for me, like as I'm as I try to get uh, interviewees for the podcast, I, I had to use my own internal network first. And it's still like the process of, you know, getting the individual to volunteer their precious time and also kind of building a sense of trust um, for them to actually tell me their, their stories, which I'm so fortunate for. How, how did you go about creating an environment that was safe where people could actually feel like they can comfortably share their story. Yeah. So there's, there's something that we do at each event and I can't take credit for this. This was, um, my co-host that was helping me out from the beginning. Um, so we, we have a set of ground rules that we set for the audience and we really let our audience know that as our community and as our audience for fuck up nights, um, you actually have the most important role in the room. So, Public speaking um, by itself is definitely stressful enough as it is already. It's a lot more pressure when you're sharing a failure, you know, maybe multiple failures in a talk. So as these speakers come up to share their stories, you know, please appreciate the courage that it takes to come up here. Um, there's no judgment and uh, ask curious questions. You know, after each speaker, we have an opportunity to do a Q&A. So here's your chance as the audience to really like dig deeper into their story and to really help the speaker kind of like deepen their own learning and really like extract those lessons for yourself as well. 
So I think setting those three ground rules, it, it really like you could see it resonates with people. Like people are nodding along and they're they just approach it in a whole different way. And you know, not each speaker is gonna resonate for, with each person. But I think with a fuck up night, like even if you know one speaker really speaks to you and you take away one lesson, I think it's a successful, successful event and it, it could be really life changing at times for people as well. You know, if they're dealing with their own failure and like here's somebody that has gone through it and you know you see that there's light at the end of the tunnel. I think that's all that matters. So yeah, I think it's creating um, that sort of environment with like setting the stage for it. Um, then we do a few different activations at our events. So we have something called the fuck up wall where, you know, people can write down their fuck up anonymously on a post-it. Oh, that's, that's something that that's people sick. see. Yeah, like right when they come into the event. So there's just like a number of touch points through our events that kind of like helps just bring the guard down. For people, we do an icebreaker um, after the second speaker where, you know, you turn to your neighbor and you open up about your own fuck up. At the end of the event, we have an opportunity uh, for people to grab the mic um, from us, like similar to TechTO and other events where, you know, they have an opportunity to go up there and maybe share their own failure or whatever they're working on, really like an opportunity to make an announcement to the crowd. And we've seen people make really, really vulnerable announcements and, you know, find really great connections in the audience. Uh, yeah, I, like I'm, I'm always for hard conversations. And I think the, tr the trick I found was just finding a, I think creating that kind of environment is difficult where people can actually be vulnerable and be and trust other people and I think like what you're doing is which being able to create is actually like uh, wonderful that people can actually stand up and actually be comfortable in like saying these things and so as a marketer who you know is now focused on growing fuck up nights what strategy has been um, the most effective from your perspective of like getting the name out there um, growing fuck up nights having more people like become aware of it yeah so with the name fuck up nights having profanity in your name it actually bans you from doing any sponsored content or you know any like sponsored advertising really which is really interesting that would make things a lot easier you know i could promote and you know sponsor the events to a specific audience type but i can't do it unless i like completely take out the profanity which goes against what the brand is yeah um, so it's really about finding creative ways to bring that concept to life and to let people know about it. So one of the ways is partnering with other organizations, um, other events in Toronto and other companies that are relevant to the target audience that we're trying to reach, which is, you know, young professionals and um, people that are entrepreneurial, um, not necessarily entrepreneurs, although a lot of them are, but, you know, people who like have that inkling, who maybe have like a side hustle, they're they're thinking about becoming an entrepreneur. So finding an organization, organizations to partner with that has that type of audience that we could tap into. Um, so for example, we work with Project Spaces um, as one of our partners. Their whole community is entrepreneurs and freelancers. So that draws a lot of people to our events. Um, hosting the events at Shopify, you know, that opens the door to a whole host of entrepreneurial people as well. Um, DMZ. Um, Zero Accounting is one of our major partners as well. So really like tapping into um, to all of those networks. And then PR is a huge piece of it as well. You know, coming from that background myself, I've been really fortunate with the PR that I've been able to garner for Fuck Up Nights Toronto. 
Um, so, you know, like at first it was a struggle. Like I think it took around a year to get any coverage or for anybody to really take it seriously. But, you know, once we had that first piece, um, it really kind of catapulted from there. So it's been covered and things like Vedicate, Tech Vibes, um, CBC, the National covered us. Like they came to an uh, event. and that's big. Yeah, it was like all over Canada and there were reruns of it. And it was a really great eight minute segment just about fuck up nights, which was incredible. And then after that, you know, I, I had the opportunity to appear on The Social, which has like a huge reach as well. Um, and, you know, a lot of opportunities like this, like um, podcasts that, that are related um, to entrepreneurship and like untraditional paths. Um, really like any opportunity to kind of like get that message out there to, to the audience that we're looking for. Um, also, I, I'm pretty active in the tech community and creative community here in Toronto. So going out to different events, anytime there's an opportunity to make a pitch, I definitely take advantage <laughs> of it. Um, and then our social has been has been growing pretty steadily since we started. Um, Instagram is a really great channel for us. And then on a personal level, LinkedIn is probably my go-to um, social network. I've really been able to build up a following and a personal brand on there around fuck up nights and to really like draw a lot of people from that platform uh, to join the community, whether it's, you know, coming out to our events or engaging with our online content. Mm -hmm. And you talked about how it didn't really start picking up until like a year later. And it makes me wonder, it, every, I think every journey has a lot of obstacles that you have to continuously overcome um, to see, you know, something brighter on the other side. Is there is there one particular like big one that pops to mind as man i remember this time when you know i thought this was everything was bleak things were not going to work out but we were able to overcome it and it's been like better since like is there a particular moment there's been a few of them um one that jumps to mind i mean uh so we did this massive event for our one year anniversary and you know like as a person without really an events background, it was a big undertaking. So, you know, we had this massive venue that fits over 500. Uh, we had a concert that was booked as part of it. We had four like fairly big name speakers as part of this event. And, you know, we had all these um, seats that we needed to fill. So leading up to it, as I told you, you know, a lot of the ticket sales kind of come like in the last minute. So it was, it was looking, <laughs> you know, like I wasn't sure how it was gonna go and at the same time Firefest was happening and you know all these like tweets and stuff about it and I was like wow like this <laughs> this could be just as bad um but it I mean it all worked out like there were so many challenges but ultimately like I really hustled my team hustled and we put together an incredible event um we've had other things you know we launched in Kitchener Waterloo a couple months ago um for the first time Ever in the history of Fuck Up Nights in Toronto or Kitchener-Waterloo, we had to postpone an event due to really bad weather. Oof. Like, yeah, there was like an, an ice storm. All the universities were shut down. So that was definitely a challenge, you know, all the communication around it and definitely not an easy thing to do. But that's what happens with, with events. There's, you know, you could plan so much and you could have everything perfectly put in place, but there's so many things that are, are outside of your control. So it's kind of learning to just embrace it. And, you know, it's become easier over time, but I still like, I'm definitely a person that has anxiety. And I think these events like really, 
like really bring it out on me and like you know before each event I'm, I'm definitely super stressed but when I see it all come together and you know when I'm at the front of the room I really like I love to just look at the audience and you know see people's reactions while you know the speakers are sharing their stories and it just makes everything worth it like you see people like literally tear up at some of the stories you know laugh along with the speakers and you know, people come up to me afterwards and say, you know, how inspiring they found it and how they like they needed to hear the specific lesson at that specific time and something that the speaker has re- said resonated with them. And then also for the speakers, a lot of the time, it's like it's literally the first time that they're sharing their failure story. And some of the speakers that I have, I mean, all like super inspiring, incredible, successful entrepreneurs and professionals. Um, so being able to like hear their stories on that sort of level and like to have that shared with my community for the first time ever. It's really like, it's something that makes me really proud. And for the speakers, it's really, it's like a cathartic experience being able to share that failure and to kind of like finally let go of it. Yeah, no, I can totally imagine that, that catharsis. Um, as, as we kind of hit upon the final legs of our interview, you mentioned this earlier in the beginning, but I wanted to kind of touch upon it again. You talked about how never in a million years would you have thought about, you know, that you'd be running an, you know, event called like Fuck Up Nights. But if, if that twenty-year-old self, the twenty-year-old Marshall, was to like look at you and be like, you know, what I'm I'm running events called Fuck Up Nights, like that third year and like uh, shoe like, what do you think her emotional reaction would be to what you're doing right now? <laughs> I think she would be really shocked, but I don't know. I think I would actually be really proud of myself. I feel like over these last couple of years, I've come so far as a person myself. Like I'm somebody that's, you know, like naturally more like shy and reserved. And I was like very nervous to do any public speaking and like not good at it at all. Doing something like fuck up nights, it's pushed me out of my comfort zone in every single way. Um, it's really like ironically it's the most successful thing that i've done (laughs) something called fuck up nights um but it's really been an incredible um learning journey and just i'm really proud of what i felt Mm -hmm. and what kind of advice would you like to give to that 20 year old marcia or like the advice that you wish you had gone when you were 20 um i think i would say just go for it like don't overthink it you know if there's something that you want to do just take the risk and go for it and then i i think i would also give myself the advice to kind of balance the hustle with some relaxation and travel again like i really wish that i did exchange in university i think i was always like so focused you know on my grades and you know having that perfect internship and and so on but i I think that's like a piece of advice that I keep giving myself now that, you know, you can't just be working all the time. There's, you really need to find balance in your life. Yeah. Finding that empty space to actually be more creative. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. I agree with you. Um, Great. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story with our um, listeners and even sharing your fuck ups as well. Yeah. Um, Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Yeah. And so if our listeners um, want to attend a fuck up night, um, or they want to be like speakers, how how could they get involved? Where would they go to? Yeah, so our local website for Toronto is fuckupnightsto.ca. The global web- website is fuckupnights.com. So if you're listening from a different city, uh, check it out. All the events are listed there. 
And then if you want to connect with me personally, um, my name is Marsha Drucker. Just search me on any social platform and I'll be there. Great. Thanks a lot for coming to the podcast, Marsha. My pleasure. Thank you. So thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please check out other episodes and don't forget to subscribe to stay up to date for the future episodes. Also, I would really appreciate it if you would leave a review on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, whichever is applicable to you. To see past episodes, you can go to oldmandan.com slash podcasts. Also, you can sign up to my weekly newsletter on my blog, oldmandan.com slash newsletter. You can stay up to date with future podcast episodes that way, and included in the newsletter are my book reviews I write, my weekly article in the related to the domain of self-development systems, as well as seven things I learned throughout the week on being healthy, wealthy, and wise. Finally, special thanks to icons8.com for allowing me to use their music, Tiny People, on the podcast. Great. I will see you all next time. Take care.